Lord. Well, I want to talk about the kingdom of God and the kingdom of his cause, and I want to talk specifically about how the kingdom of God is accessible to us through the Holy Spirit. We're going to talk about the ministry of the Holy Spirit and focus in. We don't often give teaching, and there is so much to teach about the Holy Spirit. I'm going to just give kind of an overview and pause for a few moments for us to just praise the Lord and to receive from the Lord. But there's more than can ever be contained in one sermon. And even in this one, there's a lot. And Jack has accused me. I'm accused, is that the right word? He has suggested to me that sometimes when I teach, it's like drinking from a fire hose. It's just too much. How much can you take in? So there's an image for you. And if you feel like that, just go, <laughs> and I'll, I'll know to back off, okay? <laughs> oh, well, it is what it is. Right, I'm going to begin with Romans 14, verse 17. It says, For the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. We access the kingdom of God. We access the things of God by the Holy Spirit. And it's not peripheral uh, other things that do matter. In, in this particular verse, he's talking about some discussions and some uh, disagreements that they had in the church, and he wanted to bring them to the main point. This is what the kingdom of God is. Righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. If you've been around a long time like me, you might say, and joy in the Holy Ghost. I think Pentecostals like that word, Holy Ghost. Well, that comes from the King James heritage that we've all part of the English-speaking world, where ghost and spirit are interchangeable words, but today more modern translations say spirit. So just in case you wonder, you know, what we're talking about there. So we want to receive all that the Holy Spirit has for us. I want to just begin with talking about my first encounter with the Holy Spirit. So glad to see women that have been on the encounter yesterday. And I know that the Holy Spirit encountered you there on that, in that time, just uh, a day and a half, just putting ourselves purposely in his presence, that the, the encounter is an encounter with God's truth and the power of his word. And it's at the same time an encounter with the Holy Spirit. And we are to encounter him again and again in our lives as he moves upon our heart. So I've shared my testimony before, and I'll just try to be very brief with it. But my first encounter with the Holy Spirit was at a uh, peace rally for Vietnam War protest. And there was a, a minister, of quite a, um, a secular-leaning minister, but he wanted us to pray for peace. And the Holy Spirit took full advantage of me bowing my head for prayer. And I don't even remember what the minister said, but I do remember the Holy Spirit. I didn't even know who he was. I didn't know what he was. I didn't know what I was experiencing. But as I prayed or listened to his prayer, I sensed the nearness of God. I sensed uh, something that I hadn't felt before. And I felt close to tears. And I looked at my friend who was with me and I said, did you feel that? And she said, what? She didn't feel anything, but I felt him. He was touching my life. I was encountering the Holy Spirit. And then very soon after that, just a few weeks later, I was invited to come to a Jesus People coffee house with all kinds of hippie-type people that had got born again of the Spirit of God. <clears throat> and I was into that. I thought, that's great. I, you know, I kind of identified with that culture as it was in those days. And as I came to the, it was an old building that had years ago been 
um, at a department store, and now it was just gutted out, and you know the Jesus people could inhabit it, <laughs> and came in there and set up their hippie place. And I put my hand on that doorknob to open the door to come in, and as soon as I did that, I felt that again. I thought, oh my goodness, what is this? And I opened the door, and I came in, and there was lots of activity and stuff happening, and I walked into this room full of the Holy Spirit, even though I didn't know what to call him yet. But I knew there was something very tangible and real affecting my life. And then later that evening, after we listened to the music, there was a presentation of the gospel. And I was showing the way to salvation. And all the time the person was speaking, I kept feeling this drawing on my heart, just pulling me towards God. And again, very close to tears until the moment they said, if you would like to receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, come right down here to the front and we're going to pray for you. And you know what? There was no hesitation. That the Spirit of God drew me, and I was like, yes, please. <laughs> and I was there. And that's how the Holy Spirit works, and that's how he began to work in my life. And I know many of you could have that very same testimony. Maybe details are different, but you know what it's like to be touched by God and drawn to him. And now you know Jesus as your Lord and Savior. And I pray that you will continue to experience a fresh touch of the Spirit upon your life. There, sometimes we can get into the habit of being a Christian, and it's just who we are now. But, you know, our life is supposed to be refreshed again and again, and I pray today it will be just that. Let's pray. Father, I pray in the name of Jesus, your Son, and I ask the Holy Spirit will come and minister into our hearts right now. I pray truth from your word would just come alive in our hearts. I pray the things that you want to speak specific to our needs in our lives, that you would just speak them so clearly. And Lord, we celebrate today the Holy Spirit being sent to us. Oh, blessed one, we thank you that you have come to comfort our hearts and to lead us and to guide us in all truth and to be with us. We thank you now in the name of Jesus. Amen. So let's begin with what the Holy Spirit is, or who the Holy Spirit is. And let's begin with who he is not, okay? Sometimes it's, to look at the negative is a better way to look at it. He's not an, import, an impersonal force or some sort of power. And in uh, the book of Acts, we read about how Peter went up to Samaria, actually Peter and John, and because the Holy Spirit had come up there and started to move upon people. And they, they were sent by the apostles up there to check it out. And sure enough, God was moving amongst the Samaritans and people were coming to Christ. And there was this man named Simon the sorcerer who also the Bible clearly says he came and he received Christ. And he started following the apostles around. But he was a mighty sorcerer. Like everyone feared him and respected him. And, and he, he was some man of power in the dark realm. And it says in Acts 8, 18, And when Simon saw that through the laying on of the apostles' hands the Holy Spirit was given, he offered them money, saying, Give me this power also, that anyone on whom I lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit. Well, he needed to be sanctified. He needed to be discipled. He needed a whole lot more because he totally missed the fact that the Holy Spirit is not a power. He's not just an influence, but he is a person. He is the person of the Holy Spirit. So he has power, and he imparts to believers power, but he is a person. The Holy Spirit is the third member of the Trinity, and as such, he is God. God the Father, 
God the Son and God the Holy Spirit. He proceeded from the Father and he was sent by the Son to be with us. And as a divine person, you would expect that he expresses himself in a way that a person would. These things will come up on the screen. If you were on Encounter this weekend, you heard these things already. He speaks. In Acts 13, verse 2, the Holy Spirit said, he loves, Romans 15, verse 30, through the love of the Spirit. He has emotions, Ephesians 4, 30, do not grieve the Holy Spirit. He expresses his will in 1 Corinthians 12, 11, in reference to the gifts that he gives to believers, to each one as he wills. And he communes with believers, and I'm going to read that verse in just a moment. He communes, and I want to settle on that word a little bit because we talk about having communion when we take the Lord's Supper, but what does commune mean? There's, there's much to that. 2 Corinthians 13, verse 14, reading from the New King James Version first, it says, The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen. We see the Trinity there. We see the Father. We see the Son. We see the Holy Spirit. And in the message translation, it says, the amazing grace of the Master, Jesus Christ, the extravagant love of God, and the intimate friendship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Now, isn't that just precious? So we see the grace of God expressed through Jesus Christ, the Son. We see God's great love in that he loved the world so much that he sent his Son. And we see the Holy Spirit's personality and characteristic, that he wants to have intimate fellowship, communion with us. We come to the word communion, and in, and in the Greek, that's the word koinonia. You may have heard that. I'm not a one who can expound Greek words. In fact, I just, you know, press the button and see how it sounded when I'm looking on screen. And this last week, uh, Jack and I were in Perth with um, the church there, with Global Heart Church. But uh, some of you might remember Elsira and Evangelia, who were part of our church, and they moved over to Perth. So we, we had a half a day with them and enjoyed fellowship with them. And uh, Evangelia is Greek. And we were at her father's house, who, and he is part of a long lineage of uh, Greeks that have owned a deli in Perth that's very famous. And so I was just immersed in Greek culture and found out how every word I was trying to pronounce was wrong. So, <laughs> like, I can't get my tongue around it. And then she'd say it again, and I'm like, okay, well, you know, when we stand up here and we act like we know everything and we say, well, the Greek word says probably saying it wrong <laughs> so we move on <laughs> koinonia if i said that right means fellowship partnership joint participation a sharing a communication an association an intimacy and by the way this is something what we're, we're to enjoy as believers as that kind of fellowship that's what we're supposed to know and so we are moved by the holy spirit into a personal intimate fellowship with the holy spirit no one can care for you like he does no one knows you better than he does he knows you more than you know yourself and so communion is what god wants but you know what do we do sometimes we, I'm going to get to this a little bit later, but sometimes we let condemnation get on us and keep us distant from God. And we, we won't commune with the Holy Spirit. We begin to um, distance ourselves because we don't want to hear him say anything. <laughs> we don't want to know because we know. Oh, how silly, huh? You know, because he invites us back again and again, brings us into close communion and fellowship. 
So his first mention, and we were singing it in this song, is at creation in Genesis 1, verses 1 through 3. In the beginning, God prepared, he formed, fashioned, and created the heavens and the earth. And the earth was without form and an empty waste, and darkness was upon the face of the very great deep. The Spirit of God was moving. He was hovering, breathing over the face of the waters. And God said, let there be light, and there was light. So from the very creation, the Spirit of God has been there and present. Another words that we, that we use for the Spirit of God that's brought out in the Hebrew is a wind or a breath, even a mind and, a, and the Spirit. So God brought chaos, took chaos, chaos and brought it into order. He took darkness and he brought it to light. And many of us have experienced just that recreation, that new creation in our life where he's taken something that was a big mess, something that was a chaos uh, of our lives, and he's brought order. He spoke order into our lives. He's one thing at a time. He's just moved the pieces around, and things drop off of us and fall away, and things change as we repent and come to God. And, and then he brings light in our darkness, things we could never see before. He helps us to see. So that recreation in Christ Jesus, the Holy Spirit, is still working in us. And we see in the Old Testament appearances of the Holy Spirit, and we see that he would come on certain individuals for a specific reason and for a specific time. He came upon kings, he came upon priests, he came upon prophets, and when his spirit was upon them, they would speak for God or be anointed by God for a specific task. But he wasn't available to everybody. Not just everyone could say, oh, I want the Holy Spirit. No, they couldn't do that. It didn't happen. It wasn't yet the time. We know of Saul, King Saul, how he was anointed by God to become the king. And Samuel poured the anointing oil on him, and the Bible says that Saul changed into another man. He was so different, and he joined the prophets in prophesying, like, wow, that's Saul, the shy guy. He, there he is. But later on, through disobedience and repeated disobedience to God, the Spirit of God departed from him. So God's Spirit would come, and God's Spirit would go. But Joel prophesied a change, and we read in Joel chapter 2, verse 28, And afterward, I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams, and your young men shall see visions. Even upon the men servants and upon the maid servants in those days, I will pour out my spirit. Joel prophesied that there would come a day, and we are living in that day, that the Holy Spirit would be poured out on all people, everyone. Everywhere, he's available to us if we will call on the name of the Lord. He's not limited to certain people anymore, but he is to the least of us and the best of us, to the youngest of us, everybody in between and the oldest of us. He's available to everyone to know him and experience him. So we live in this day. Do we take it for granted? Do we realize what that means, that the Holy Spirit has been sent to come and be with us and be with us forever? To not just be with us, but Jesus said, and I'll read it in a minute, to be in us, to live in us, not just beside us, not just someone we say, please help us, but to be in us. Now, that, that could take a sermon right there, just to talk about that, and we don't have time. 
but we will we'll read about that in just a moment but i want to jump now to the coming of the holy spirit on the day of pentecost in acts chapter 2 verses 1 through 4 on the day of pentecost all the believers were meeting together in one place suddenly there was a sound from heaven like the roaring of a mighty windstorm and it filled the house where they were sitting then what looked like flames of tongues of fire appeared and settled on each of them and everyone present was filled with the Holy Spirit and began speaking in other languages as the Holy Spirit gave them this ability. Wow, wouldn't you like to have been there? If I could time travel, I would go there and go, wow, it was just like they described it. That's amazing, I'd love that. And as, as this event happened, and it was just, it, it attracted attention. People poured in from the streets, leaned in the windows, came in to see what is going on in here. And so Peter stood up and he began to explain. And what did he do? He quoted Joel. And he said, this is what Joel prophesied, that this would happen. And then he said in Acts 2.21, Then everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So there was this mighty demonstration and uh, the Holy Spirit came down and now was inhabiting the believers. And he wanted them to know that this is the end result that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Are you saved today? Have you know, do you know Jesus as your Savior, saved you from your sins? And if not, today's a good day to make that shift, to make that change. And today at the end of our, our service, we're going to give you an opportunity to do that, for you to call on the name of the Lord and experience this wonderful gift of salvation and the Holy Spirit coming into your life. So the Holy Spirit is the key element. He is the person who is the, the role in salvation, bringing salvation to our hearts. I'll read in a moment from John chapter 3 where Jesus spoke about being born again or born of the Spirit. Nicodemus was a religious man, a Pharisee, a very prominent man, but he came secretly under the cover of night to Jesus to, to ask him, "What is? obviously you're from God. No man could do these things except he be from God. And you know what? Jesus didn't want to talk about that. He just went right to the point and he said, Nicodemus, you must be born again. At John 3, 3. So the Holy Spirit begins to operate in our life to bring about the, the new birth and brings about the experience of salvation. And how is this done? The Holy Spirit interacting, coming to us. And before that moment, you will find, like I just shared in my testimony, that the Holy Spirit is drawing you. You, you sense him on your heart. You sense this while well, your ears perk up anytime you hear something about Jesus or maybe someone has been speaking to you and, and like we were talking about, my heart pounds when I hear the sound. My heart pounds. There is something very, very, very special about the Holy Spirit coming into our lives. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Holy Spirit, thank you, Jesus. So the salvation is the greatest miracle that we will ever experience. And if, if you think that, well, I don't see miracles in my life, if you're born again of the Spirit, you have, and you are. There will never be an experience as great as that, to be given eternal life by God, to be given righteousness brought to you through Jesus Christ, to be forgiven of all your sins, to have an assurance that you are God's and belong to him forever. 
That's amazing. That's the greatest miracle you'll ever know. But the Holy Spirit also continues to bring change in our life. And Romans 8 verse 9 says, But you are not controlled by your sinful nature. You are controlled by the Spirit if you have the Spirit of God living in you. And remember that those who do not have the Spirit of Christ living in them do not belong to him at all. So we must have Jesus come into our lives. We can't just give an assent to some religious creed or be brought up in a a type of faith. We must ask Jesus to come into our heart through the Holy Spirit. And Jesus taught on the ministry of the Holy Spirit quite extensively through John's chapter 4, 15, and 16. You'll see he had mentioned again and again, and I want to quote from some of these. I know I chose the Amplified, and it's so long, but I'll just read it as quickly as I can. If you really love me, you will keep and obey my commands. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another comforter, a counselor, a helper, an intercessor, an advocate, strengthener, and standby, that he may remain with you forever, the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive or welcome or take into its heart, because it does not see him or know him or recognize him. But you will know and recognize him, for he lives with you constantly and will be with you and be in you. So the Holy Spirit came. And Jesus said, when, he, when I send him, he will be another, another comforter. Now, there's some Greek words for that, and I'm not going to try. <laughs> but another means another like the same sort, another like me. So not something else, something different, but another like me, another who's God like me. The comforter will come. Another who has the character like me, another whose nature is just like me. And he uses the word comforter, and the Amplified brings out all those extra meanings that are contained in that word. So um, a Latinization of the Greek word is the word paraclete. Maybe you've heard that. And that's a Greek word that means a legal representative, one who stands beside, one who pleads their cause before a judge, an intercessor, a defense, one who comforts, secures and brings assistant and help. So this is the nature of the Holy Spirit, and this is the nature of, the Holy, uh, of Jesus himself. Jesus is our intercessor. And Romans chapter 8, verse 26 and verse 27 says, Likewise, the Spirit also helps in our weaknesses, for we do not know what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. Now he who searches the heart knows what the mind of the Spirit is because he makes intercession for the saints according to the will of God. And just skipping down to Romans 8, verse 34, who is he who condemns? It is Christ who died and furthermore is also risen, who is even at the right hand of God, who also makes intercession for us. So this intercessory role of the Holy Spirit for us here on earth, and Jesus Christ now in heaven at the right hand of God, we have it double. We are privileged and blessed. How secure should you feel in in the love of God and his kindness to us? But just referring back to this uh, first section of verses, talks about he knows our weaknesses and our deepest needs, and he helps us to pray things that we don't even know how to pray. Well, coming from our Pentecostal faith, 
tradition, we understand that when we speak in tongues, we don't understand what we're praying. And so I know many, many times when I'm in prayer and I don't know exactly how to pray to a situation, usually it's something that's difficult and a burden, I'll begin to pray in tongues. And tongues and interpretation of tongues. And sometimes God will give me the understanding of what I just prayed. And I'll pray that. And maybe you've had that in, in that experience. But then it also says about groanings which cannot be uttered. Groanings that come from within that we can't even say. We can't even speak and bring out. Maybe you've known that too. That, you know, that this is the spirit of God in you. Just groaning. Have you ever had prayer like that? Some have. Where you're just like, oh, God. And you know somehow he understands. It's come from within your spirit. This is the Holy Spirit joining with your spirit and bringing prayer to God that you need in that hour. How good is our God? How great is our God? So much more we could talk about. We could talk about the Holy Spirit and we could talk about how he baptizes us in the Holy Spirit. That's a whole topic that we need to, to understand. And after the service tonight, today, if you want prayer for the baptism of the Holy Spirit, I'm happy to pray with you. And when we conclude today, also, we're going to just ask for a fresh infilling of the Holy Spirit, because don't you know with me? We need a fresh infilling of the Holy Spirit. We could talk about the gifts of the Holy Spirit. We could talk about the fruit of the Holy Spirit. All of these are big topics in themselves. But as I come to a place... As we finish, I want to talk about the conviction of the Holy Spirit. In John 16, verse 7 through 8, it says, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away, for if I do not go away, the Helper will not come to you. But if I depart, I will send him to you, and when he has come, he will convict the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. And so the Holy Spirit is at work in our world today, convicting men and women and boys and girls of sin and drawing them to the Father that they might find repentance and find salvation. This is the work of the Holy Spirit. That's how we are saved. And so I'll say it again. We are born again by the Spirit, not by giving mental assent to some religious creed, but having an encounter with God himself. So to come to God, we come to him in repentance, and that means a movement towards God and away from sin and our old life. And so this is just the, the sequence that God works. He convicts us of sin. He leads us to repentance. Repentance brings us to Jesus, and there we are welcome. There we can find forgiveness. There we find grace. And Peter explained to the apostles, Peter seemed to have to do a lot of explaining in his early ministry. And this was another occasion when he was called upon by the Holy Spirit to go bring the gospel to the Gentiles in Caesarea. And that caused quite a stir because until that point, it hadn't been revealed. They didn't understand what that meant all the world. When Jesus said, take the gospel to all the world, they had their Jewish blinders on and thought, yes, the Jewish world, right? And But... No, the Holy Spirit was to come to every one of us, and Jesus was to be the Savior of the whole world. In Acts 11, 8, um, 18, Peter began to explain what happened and how the Holy Spirit had come upon the Gentiles, even while he was speaking, and that, that they came to salvation. And it says, when the others heard this, they stopped objecting and began praising God, and they said, we can see that God has also given the Gentiles the privilege of repenting of their sins and receiving eternal life. 
So it's a privilege. Repentance is a privilege. And, and I, I say it often, but I have to say it again because I think repentance has gotten a bad rap. It's kind of like, ooh, that's dark and gloomy and horrible and I'm down on myself and I must grub around. And, you know, no, repentance couldn't be further from that. Repentance is the, the pathway back to God. And let me ask the question then, does the Holy Spirit still convict you after you become saved? I certainly hope so. He does me, so if, he, if, if, if I'm alone in this, then there's something wrong, right? <laughs> no, of course he does. Of course he does. And so this passage should not be interpreted that he only convicts the world. He continues to convict us of our sin. And the things that we, and some things are sin and some things are just sort of, they're not pleasing God and we need to turn back to him and we need to change that, take a new direction. 1 John 1, 8 and 9 says, if we claim we have no sin, we are only fooling ourselves and not living in the truth. But if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all wickedness. If we claim we have not sinned, we are calling God a liar and showing that his word has no place in our hearts. So Holy Spirit's conviction upon our hearts is an active expression of the grace of God that is continually given to us. Conviction should lead us to repentance, and the repentance leads us to restoration of intimacy with God. When we sin as Christians, God doesn't leave us. We don't lose our salvation, but we lose our intimacy. And so this is what we have to restore. Just like, say, I know there's a lot of people that are, are married here or have a significant relationship. You may have something come between you. There may be some things that you didn't make each other happy about. Does that mean you stop being married? No, it just meant our intimate fellowship has been broken and needs to be restored. And so that's what we do in our relationship to God. And by the Holy Spirit, we receive the conviction of God. We repent of our sins. We tell God we're sorry. It should move us in our hearts. And so I want to uh, talk about uh, what the Holy Spirit, again, is not and what the Holy Spirit is, and so that maybe we can get a clear understanding. So Holy Spirit conviction is not the pangs of a guilty conscience. Okay? Just stay with me. The Holy Spirit conviction is not shame and condemnation. It's not a foreboding sense of God's displeasure. And it's not merely a knowledge of right and wrong, because a person can know full well something is wrong and still keep doing it, right? We've all been there. So these are all natural responses to the things we do wrong, but they are not the grace-infused conviction of the Holy Spirit. Now, just to breed between... To, a bridge between what it is not, what conviction is not, and what conviction is, I'd like to just add a little proviso in here. Holy Spirit is not an emotion or emotionalism, but he affects our emotions. You know, you with me? You, you felt that? So this, this is helpful for some of us who feel that we have to feel, okay? I don't feel God. Uh, maybe you have had an emotional encounter. Maybe you've had an encounter with the Holy Spirit and you felt him emotionally, and now it's been a long time since you felt him, and you think, well, maybe he's distant from me or he's displeased with me. Can I tell you that most of my Christian life, I don't live with emotions. I just live by faith. I just follow him, and I love him, and I know it's true whether I feel it or not. It's wonderful when I feel the Holy Spirit. It's wonderful when my emotions are affected, but I don't have to have them. 
to follow him. Okay, so what is Holy Spirit conviction? What it is, is a distinct and sometimes overwhelming sense of the Spirit upon your heart. The Holy Spirit is always specific, and he clearly shows you what the matter is. And to be certain about what it, whether it's sin or a thought or a word or activities, he shows you what you need to repent of. So the Holy Spirit is not vague and condemning and shaming, but he will show you specifically. And with that, I don't know if you felt that. I can remember an incident in my life some years ago where I spoke harshly to a colleague. This person's not in ministry now, but I spoke harshly to this person. I was worked up about something. I was disrespectful. And I went home. I didn't actually get out of my car before I felt the Holy Spirit's conviction. And he said, you were so wrong, and that was so rude, and you need to apologize. <laughs> and you know what? I couldn't do it fast enough <laughs> because I felt the Holy Spirit telling me to repent of that and get that right. And you know, when he does that to you, he does that to me, let's do that. Let's respond to him quickly and get matters right and get things restored because it's not just our restoration with God, but it's restoring our relationship with our brothers and sisters and family members and work colleagues and so forth. We need to be very sensitive to that. And I, I could say that, you know, if we harden our hearts, if we get far from God, if we don't want to hear from him, we lose that sensitivity. So let's stay in that place where we should know. Um, you clearly know what you must do. His conviction often produces strong emotions, as I just said, and that you cannot do anything but. And conviction always points us to Jesus and to the cross. And his spirit will lead us into all truth. Can I get the team to come up now as I finish? In John 14, verse 16 through 17, it says, I will ask the Father and he will give you another advocate who will never leave you. He is the Holy Spirit who leads into all truth. He'll never leave you. Remember that. The world cannot recognize him because it isn't looking for him and doesn't recognize him, but you know him because he lives with you and now later will be in you. You know, the world is full of half-truths and lies, and the devil is the father of lies, and we live today with more confusing information that comes to us always. But aside all of that, there's the truth that we know in our hearts, and sometimes there's the lies that we know within our hearts. Sometimes we have lies spoken over us from maybe unkind words someone has said, or maybe our own heart condemning us, or maybe our own frustration with ourselves. And so lies are spoken about to us about our worth, our value, our position in Christ. Holy Spirit will come and he'll speak truth to your life today. And we're going to ask him to do that today in just a moment. And the Holy Spirit, as I close, he speaks Jesus. He speaks Jesus. John 16, verse 14. He will bring me glory by telling you whatever he receives from me. All that belongs to the Father is mine. This is why I said, the Spirit will tell you whatever he receives from me. He speaks the words of Jesus to your heart. He speaks Jesus when you open the word of God and you begin to read. He speaks Jesus and the love of God to you. He speaks glory to Jesus Christ. He takes the words of God and he illuminates them on the page so that you can understand him. And he brings you the rhema word within the word. As you read the word of God, you'll find a specific word just for you. Do you know what I mean? The word within the word. He speaks within your heart the direction and the guidance and the way that you should go. He speaks Jesus.